Sorry, Dan. All right, starting over. Summary of everything I just said. All right, sorry, guys. Uh, left, left flag uh, representing abortion rights, uh, pro-choice, and the right representing the many colors of the LGBTQIA uh, rainbow, uh, trying to uh, capture all of those that um, in that diverse and uh, somewhat unified, I say somewhat unified, subculture in our greater culture. So a culture is made up of people that are together, and a culture changes. You may, if you, uh, you heard of Rip Ran Winkle, if you fell asleep 60 years ago and woke up today and looked around and thought, what is this, what is this flag? What is this flag? Why are they, why are they protesting here? Why are they passing laws here? You would feel like you're in a different world, although it's just 60 years apart. If you ever watched old TV, like the two shows that come to mind for me are Leave It to Beaver and the Andy Griffith Show, both popular shows, but those two shows in particular show a very different world than modern television. Look at sitcoms and things that are on popular TV uh, now from seven or eight to 10 on a weeknight and you will not see anything like Leave it to Beaver, nothing. And our culture has gone from Leave it to Beaver where the traditional norms of the family, where mom and dad were loved and respected and feared by the boys. And the boys were ornery and uh, knew, but uh, mom and dad loved each other and loved them and it was pretty clear uh, in the few shows that I've watched of those episodes uh, that it seemed like a simpler culture than it is today. How do we bring Christ to this culture that seems to not want him? Well, I'll give you an overview uh, of our study. Uh, we're going to build bridges. A bridge is, requires this type of bridge, an arch bridge. If one of these guys puts the stone in before the other, the stone's going into the water, right? So the only way this arch bridge is completed is that if they put the stone in at the same time, and then it wedges and it forms a strong uh, platform on which to walk across. And there are people around us that are looking for truth. Uh, I have been reading uh, books on these topics for the last year. I'll share some of those with you. Uh, part of your homework for next week is to watch a three-minute video that I found, um, and I'll, I already have it queued up to send to you. Uh, so after Sunday school, I'll send that to you on, uh, from gotquestions.org. That's a trusted uh, Christian uh, website that answers a lot of questions about culture and, and God's word. But we are going to look at God's sufficient word. It might be a little small. Um, God's sufficient word and our sufficient Savior tells us how to magnify Christ. His holiness, his justice, his love, and his grace. That sounds like the exchange, intentionally so, okay? In every relationship, we're going to magnify Christ, and we're looking to God's sufficient word 
and Christ is our sufficient Savior. You'll see in these first three, first three points here, sufficiency is a very key term for us as Bible-believing, sufficiency of Scripture believers. Because there are a lot of believers that don't believe Scripture is sufficient, so they're looking to culture and psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. And uh, they're looking at, as we saw last fall, uh, ways to try to understand um, power and uh, social justice and critical race theory and other uh, critical theories in a ways that denies the sufficiency of God's word. And so as Christians, we're going to hold high the sufficiency of God's word, and I hope uh, to show us um, at least a glimpse. Now, all I can do in four sessions here, or 45 minutes, is give you a taste of what's in God's word so that you will want to take God's word and study it whenever culture's throwing questions at you that you can't answer, okay? And you know, I know scripture's sufficient. I know it speaks about this. I just don't know where. I don't know how to engage our culture. And we'll talk about that in our last two weeks of this study of how to uh, use our words and our actions to engage a culture, to bring Christ to them. God's sufficient word and our sufficient Savior is going to challenge us how to build strong relationships with those very different from us so that we can carry the truth of God's salvation to them. And if we are trying to build a bridge to someone, and there are people on, let's say, the Christians here represented on the left side of our screen here, if this guy doesn't want the bridge built to him, that bridge isn't going to be built. Okay, bridges require two people working together, but there are, and you will, I'll recommend a, a book or two, where there have been stories uh, in Christians reaching out in recent years uh, to those in LGBTQ uh, communities, and that community, those in that community wanted a relationship, and uh, now they have trusted Christ. So. The purpose of building bridges, relationships, bridges, is to carry the truth of God's word, God's, specifically God's salvation, uh, to them. And we're expecting God's word to be sufficient. And then God's sufficient word and our sufficient Savior is going to inform us with wisdom. We need a lot of wisdom today and boldness in our countless decisions on what to do and what not to do to live like Christ in all our relationships. What's appropriate for Christians? How far is too far? Are we going to affirm certain lifestyles, uh, choices, lifestyle choices, certain relationships, certain relationship arrangements, living arrangements? Uh, what are we going to do to live like Christ in all our relationships? All right. So you're with me in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and... We're going to look, I didn't get to preach this yet, and I'm not going to preach it now, I'm just going to mention it and uh, keep moving, but I will preach it, Lord willing, uh, in October. So 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God doesn't count their, the world's trespasses against them when they're reconciled to him. How are people going to be reconciled to God? God chooses this plan to put us with a message. 
We have a message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, since we have this message of reconciliation and God's plan not to count the world's trespasses against them, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And all those who are reconciled to God have the message and the privilege of carrying the message of reconciliation to the world. The reason people embrace alternate lifestyles and pro-choice agendas is they don't know God. They're not reconciled to God. They're alienated from God. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They're blind to their own sin. And anyone who is physically disabled, like blindness, we have compassion on them. We help them. We remove obstacles from their way. And anyone who is spiritually blind, we don't want to get in their way and trip them intentionally, spiritually, so that they struggle to want to know God, the God that we say has changed our lives and can change their life too. It starts with our heart, though. And if we don't see that God wants to use us to be, help other people to be reconciled to God, verse 21, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God is still rescuing people from all types of sin. And he wants to use us to build bridges to people as ambassadors with a message of reconciliation to the world. And if your heart does not care, you need the truth of this passage. We have to care that people are dying and going to hell. We have to care that they have never, some of them never heard the message of the gospel. Never. All of they have heard is, this is your body, do with it what you want. That's all they've heard from a little child in a nursery age, all the way up to 20-something, 30-something, 40-something. This is all they've heard from parents, educators, authorities in their life. That's all they've heard. And they have never heard the glorious message of the gospel. And we cannot sit in a comfortable pew with a sufficient word of God and look down our long noses on people that have a very different worldview than us. And if we do think this way, we're not going to go as a message or as an ambassador. We're going to feel comfortable and we'll talk to people that are like us, that are conservative, that are pro-life instead of pro-choice, that are not uh, pro-LGBTQ, um, that think this is a perversion instead of an alternate lifestyle, and we won't be used as ambassadors. But it starts with our heart. Is your heart overwhelmed that God would rescue you from your sin? We'll stop just, just with that first sentence. If you are not overwhelmed that God has rescued you from your sin, you are not in a position to help other people be rescued. Never get over your salvation. Never get over being overwhelmed that God would save you. You're not better than anyone else. I'm not better than anyone else. 
And when we think that way, our heart gets cold. And we don't want to be used of God as he wants us to be used as ambassadors. To be an ambassador to another country takes a lot of flexibility. If you were to be in American government now and the government said, hey, I want you to be an ambassador to Pakistan. You'd say, Pakistan, where's that on a map, Google, Pakistan? Oh, it's near India. It's in the uh, far, uh, closer to Far East and Middle East. And you start looking at food in Pakistan and culture there, and you're like, whoa, this, I gotta move there? I've gotta eat that food, I've got to be around these people. Uh, and you're gonna have to learn a culture that is very, very different than the United States. You know what it takes to be used of the Lord as a missionary? takes a lot of flexibility. Ask the missionaries that from our church that have gone to mission trips, short-term mission trips, and the goals of those trips sometimes just don't offend anyone with things that you don't know about the culture. So you learn as much of the culture before you go so that the, the gospel is offensive enough. And this is our mindset. As ambassadors, we're very flexible. And the most humble people are the most flexible people. The most proud people are the most inflexible people. And proud people can't be used of the Lord because they're inflexible. God says, I want you to go here. And they're no, I'm not going there. I'm not eating that stuff. I'm not talking to people. Are you serious? Why not? If you want to reach people, want to be obedient, we need to learn a culture that may be different from your own. This is not. The 2020s are very, very little like the 1960s. You're in a different world than when you grew up. And you can, as older people, let's say older than me people, wish it was like the 1960s again. We're not going back to the 1960s. It's not coming back. Leave it to Beaver is not going to make a reruns. Uh, oh, they're not going to make more <laughs> Leave it to Beaver type shows. It's a Wonderful Life movie, one of my favorite movies. They're probably not making movies like that anymore. Okay, so that culture is in our past, and it's not coming back. But how do we live in this culture as faithful ambassadors for the Lord? It's very different than what we want, um, but this isn't our home. We're strangers and pilgrims here, uh, but we are ambassadors, and so we need to learn. I think we need to be willing to learn how to engage with loving questions. If you're going to a culture and you find someone in that culture that can speak English if you don't want to learn the language, you're going to have to learn how to ask questions of, hey, why do the ladies dress like this? Why do the men wear this? Why do, why do you eat this? Why is it there? Why don't you walk together? Or why are the men walking up here and the women walking back here? And, and all these different questions that you're going to have to ask uh, about the culture, and you're going to have to be willing to learn. And we'll look at some loving questions, I think, that others have uh, gone before us and have written that can help us. And we'll see in our Savior. Are you willing to discern when to accommodate and when to not? And so it, it's going to take wisdom, as we saw on the last slide. 1 Corinthians 9.22 up here on the slide 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 is a passage that talks, and we have seen this in 1 Corinthians study, that Paul is flexible to, um, to fit in with the culture in a way for a purpose. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, he is not going to be unholy. He's not going to live in an immoral way like the immoral culture of the Corinthians in order to reach the Corinthians. But he is going to be flexible with, in 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, with his food choices, with what he would eat and not eat and uh, different ways uh, to uh, apply culture uh, so that he can share the gospel. All right. We're going to look at two stories, one from the Old Testament, and these are pretty well-known stories. All right, so if we want to have a heart for a culture that's different than ours, I, I couldn't find a better story in the Old Testament than the book of Jonah. If you were to think through why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, what would come to your mind? I'm going to let you talk. All right. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Okay, he's afraid of barbaric Assyrians. Yep. They're heathens. Okay. He wanted God to judge them. Yeah, he didn't want them to be delivered. Okay. Anything else that comes to your mind? Ed? Why Jonah didn't want to go? He didn't want him to be saved, right? Jonah, as us today, are political. Jonah was a, he wasn't a politician, but he thought of politics and he thought of national security. And if you and I are just political, thinking of national security, and we're going to bring back Leave It to Beaver and It's a Wonderful Life, and whoever is standing in the way of the good old days of the 1950s or 60s and the traditional families, whoever's standing in that way and is destroying our, our country with their immorality, then we've got to oppose them because they're our enemies. But we're clearly thinking just nationally or politically and thinking you're messing up our culture and if you were Israelite and Jonah writes 40 years, 45 years before the Assyrians do destroy northern Israel. They were a barbaric people, if you read in history. The atrocities that they did were worse than the Babylonians who came after them. But Jonah was, like we are, wanting a good culture in Israel. And anyone who would mess up the good culture was his enemy. And he did not want them to be saved. He wanted them to be destroyed because they were the enemy. Let's remind ourselves that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. So what can we learn from the book of Jonah? And I've got to summarize Jonah in 10 minutes, okay? And I'll try to do my best to do that. You can look at Jonah with me. Um, 
Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. All right, so find the book of Jonah. What I've done is try to uh, summarize the big themes of Jonah with what Jonah did not have and what we must learn from his book. If we are going to have a heart for those who are very different than us and be willing to go to them as ambassadors. What did Jonah learn? I think, and commentators think, that Jonah probably wrote his book. All the details of Jonah, including his prayer in the, in the, uh, in the whale or the big fish. Jonah would have known all of those details. Only Jonah would have known all the details of his book, including how he felt, how he was angry, um, and, and everything else of why he, um, why he ran, why he ran, what he prayed, uh, his message, his methods, and then his um, motives here at the end. And I think Jonah writes as a humble prophet about his weaknesses here in this book. What is it that we need to learn from Jonah to have a heart for Ninevites? What is God's desire for all people on the planet? We know that God's desire. What's God's desire for all people? They'd be saved. They wouldn't perish. We know that from 2 Peter 3. This is not, we're not ignorant of what God's heart is for the whole planet. We just saw God's plan for reaching the planet was to use believers who are ambassadors, who are going to share a message of reconciliation. This is what Jonah does. He shares a message of reconciliation with people he did not really want to go to. And he outwardly conformed. But inwardly, we can tell probably from even the end of his book, his heart was not in it. His body was there. He was somewhat willing to go, especially after spending three days and the nights in the fish. And he thought, I'm just glad to be alive and not digested. And then he's glad to be out instead of in. I don't imagine what it's like to be three days. And if you're claustrophobic, you would have gone out of your mind <laughs> in, the, in the belly of the fish. And yet, and probably is at the very verge of dehydration and starvation. And then God spares him. He goes, and at the end of his book, it doesn't end on a positive note for Jonah, but Nineveh is spared, at least temporarily. So what is it we can learn? Be concerned for God's desire for all people. Are we concerned? Concern comes from a heart. I can't make you be concerned for people. You and your heart have to desire concern. A concern is things aren't right. I, I can do something. I should do something. I, I need to do something here. And God's desire for all people is that they would be saved. So we need to ask God in humility. He's not going to send fishes your way to swallow you if you don't have a concern. Probably not. God's unique in how he humbles us. But use the book of Jonah to humble you. Sufficiently, it's a sufficient book to humble you 
for your concern with people that are very different than you. The people that you'd rather avoid, that you'd rather be very far away from and just let them live their lives and all their violence and wickedness, the book of Jonah says, and let God's judgment fall on them as it did on Sodom, as it did on others through human history, and feel like, I, I don't know, I don't want to reach them. Is your concern more for our national strength of our borders, strength of uh, our economy, strength of something else that we see people that are messing this up and we need to be most concerned about people's souls. You don't get this watching the news. You don't get this while you drive around. We drove up to the wilds yesterday and there are thousands of signs to who to vote for. I'm like, you know what? All these signs are just gonna be pulled up and thrown away because they, I'm not voting for anybody just because I see a sign. <laughs> but they're everywhere. And this is what's gonna change our culture is we get the right person in. No, you know what's gonna change our culture? Christians are obedient to the Great Commission. That's it. That's the only hope for our culture. Why? Because we serve a sufficient Savior who's given us a sufficient word. And God's word in the book of Jonah tells us to be concerned for God's desire for all people. Ask God to identify your Ninevites. Who would it be if God wants you to reach them and God moved them next door to you or across the street from you? and want you to reach them because they're your neighbors. You have to love them. Ask God to identify them. And if your heart wants them to be destroyed, you're going to avoid them even if they live next door to you. But if your heart wants them as God's heart wants them to be saved, you're going to figure out how to be a good neighbor to them. You're going to figure out how to talk to them. You're going to figure out how to have them in your home for a meal. Ask God to identify your Ninevites. We all probably have them. Second, from the book of Jonah, are you concerned with your refusal to go to Nineveh? God knows your heart. He made you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your prejudices against people of certain lifestyle choices. He knows that you'd prefer not to talk to anybody that's not staunchly pro-life. But if you only hang out with pro-life people and pro-life marches and pro-life wherever people hang out online, chat rooms, this isn't how missionaries and ambassadors think. This is how people comfortable wanting something that God doesn't really show us is clearly our mission um, and how to fulfill this. So what are you refusing to go? Where are you refusing to go? Ask God to make you willing. So once God helps you identify your Ninevites, then ask him to make you willing to go. And you know what he's going to do? He's probably going to make you willing to go. How did he use, what did he use in Jonah's life to make him willing to go? Pretty serious situations. A storm, he was asleep, probably thought, I've escaped God. 
He had really bad theology there. And then God found him. God knew where he was. He didn't have to find him. And God sent the fish. God went before Jonah to prepare the Ninevites to hear this message of reconciliation. God is sending his spirit to the world, according to John 16, to prepare the hearts of people and preparing them with the message of sin and righteousness and judgment. People already know they're going to be condemned. That's why they have to have a pride month. That's why we have to have everybody propping up and, and fast-tracking people that want to transition or want to uh, feel like I need to be affirmed. I don't really need to be affirmed in my, I'm a man. I don't need to be affirmed as a man. Most of you don't need to be affirmed as a man or a, a woman. You're good. I don't need all culture telling me I'm okay. But many people do, do need this, and we need to reach out and build bridges to them. And we'll talk about uh, that, uh, how, to, how to think uh, next week. But the heart, your heart has to be softened by the word of God and by the book of Jonah. Are you concerned with your desire for repentant sinners to still be destroyed? You look at Jonah 4, he gives the message of reconciliation. The people are repentant. And he goes up and he's mad after they repent at the end of chapter 3. He goes up to watch them to be destroyed, knowing that God isn't going to destroy them. And after 40 days and God doesn't destroy them, Jonah's mad. Like, what? Is part of our heart problem with people very different than us is that even if they do repent, we still hope God judges them because of all these years of wickedness that they've lived. No. What do we just see in 2 Corinthians 5? God doesn't count our trespasses against us. And if God doesn't count your trespasses against you, why would he have a different standard for anyone else regardless of their lifestyle? Our heart is cold. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are comfortable not being ambassadors for our Savior. And we need, that needs to concern us. Are you concerned with your desire for repentant sinners to still be destroyed? So what's the solution? Ask God to humble you and transform your priorities. You know, I'm going to stop and pray right here, and then we'll go on to our last slide. Our Father, thank you that uh, you have shown us from Jonah that you may ask us to go to people that are very different than us, that have different worldview, different goals, different um, motivations. And I pray that you'd help us to be willing to go to them with the message of reconciliation. Help us, if we're not willing, that you would convict us daily and constantly about our unwillingness to go and be your ambassador. I pray for those who are uh, going to repent from very uh, different worldviews and different lifestyles. And as you bring them to our church, that we would not look down on them and still want your judgment on their lives. Help us to embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ and help them to grow in grace and knowledge of you so that you would be magnified and you would be praised and you would get all the glory for rescuing people out of darkness. 
and into your marvelous light. Help us be ambassadors in Jesus' name. I'm not going to say amen because we'll pray again at the end. So that's the Old Testament. You can study the book of Jonah and uh, compare what uh, you just saw on the screen to what is in that sufficient book. So the second story, and probably even uh, more pointed and powerful, is the woman at the well. Picture from the woman at the well from the Chosen uh, series, the last of season one. And uh, the Chosen is good in that it quotes a lot of scripture. It's most powerful when it quotes scripture because scripture is sufficient. Um, and Jesus has to go through Samaria, John 4, 7 says. And you can turn with me to John 4 if you'd like. Jesus shows us how to, in a sufficient book, in a sufficient word, how to connect to people that are very different than you. We don't see Jonah connecting with people other than he's the preacher and they're listening and they repent and they turn and they're spared. But Jesus shows us personally how to connect with someone who culture said he should not be talking to her. She says, you shouldn't be talking to me. So what can we learn from John 4 that will help us to know how to build a bridge to someone who is very different than you that they think, you shouldn't talk to me because you are pro-life or you are anti-LGBTQIA. Okay, so we're going to think about the strategies from our master. We have to follow him. He is not like Jonah. He is a perfect example. We have to learn what not to do from Jonah, but here we learn what to do from our Savior. So let's look at a little bit of John 4. And then we'll have some comments. John 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His first connection with her is something that all people need. And it's something that we could, today we would say, hey, we want to go out to coffee with me. Okay? If people like coffee. You don't like coffee? Tea. Boba tea. Uh, chai tea, uh, water. You want to go out for water with me? Okay. Are you thirsty? <laughs> Let's go and get something to drink together and we'll chat. Okay. This is how Jesus starts the conversation. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is by himself. This woman, um, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, probably with some sharpness of tone. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritan, John commentates here for us. Jesus answers her, not in the same tone at all. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Okay, is Jesus greater than Jacob? And the obvious answer in this book is he's the I am. Okay, he's so much greater than Jacob. Yes. But he causes her to ask questions. See, a good connection conversation invites questions from those who you shouldn't even be talking to me to... She's starting to ask questions, and he's leading her to himself. 
what she really needs. So he's connecting with her. How is he connecting? Well, he's willing to connect to her. Jonah wasn't willing, probably, to, to connect with Nineveh, and he was forced to go there, and he gave the message, and he left. He didn't stay and connect with anyone, as far as we can tell, in his book. He gave the message, and he got out. Reconnaissance mission. No, that's not, Christianity is not, give people the gospel, and see you later. Okay, that's how we give the gospel, usually at a car show, a cookie swap, or events, um, even when they come to church. But our real desire is that they would meet with us outside of church. At Old Home Day, this coming Saturday, we'll try to connect to all people. And we'll probably see people that they may dislike us, but they might be thirsty and we have water. Hey, would you like a drink? And we give them a drink. And as they're drinking the water that we just gave them for free, try to talk to them. We're trying to connect to all people. If you see someone that you know, put them in your category that they probably don't like you, and you they're part of your Ninevites, and they're coming by our booth, oh, go to the other side. <laughs> go to that ambassador, not me. Uh, you might be thinking, God wants us to connect to all people. Engage someone in conversation about drink. We're going to get rain tomorrow. We've had a drought. Talk to them about rain, the weather, the Red Sox. The Patriots are starting this week. Talk to them about something that you can discern if they're wearing a hat that you know nothing about the Baltimore Orioles. And that's their, on their hat. Start talking about their hat. Okay? Hey, you're an Orioles fan? If you don't know what it is, Google it. Okay, Google what? Where do the Orioles play? Okay, it's Baltimore, right? Start a conversation. The hardest part of evangelism is starting. That's what I found. Going up to someone that you don't know, that you may even assume they don't like you, but just starting. Starting. Connect and be willing to go to all people. So connecting. Jesus knew how to connect. He connects over water. But notice what he says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God. Here is Jesus asking for a gift, but he's talking to her. He starts the very the lengthy uh, verse 10 there. He talks about the gift of God. So what Jonah didn't want to do is give the people a gift of God to repent and sparing. Jesus starts with, if you knew the gift of God. Why does Jesus start there? Because the gift of God is available to this woman. You know what people need who are pro-choice and LGBTQIA? They need the gift of God. And we have to connect to them. It may take time. It may take years of conversation. But the goal is to build a relationship that you can carry the truth of God to them and offer them the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God, so he himself is embodying this. But he's trying to get her to ask more questions and be curious and engage her in conversations when she knows and he knows they should not be talking. And so Jesus says, I would, he would, God would have given you 
living water. And the woman says, sir, I'm, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he drank for it for himself and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks, he just, Jesus doesn't answer that. Are you greater? But of course, he's going to lead her to himself, and he is greater. He's going to claim to be the Messiah. So be connecting all people with their desire for eternal life. This woman who is very thirsty physically has a curiosity about the gift of God and eternal life. You know why? Because every single human being is curious about the gift of God and eternal life. Every single one. And we can connect. We can be the bridge. And I'll leave you at this point and we'll pick up here next week. Be connecting all people with their need for rescue and the relationship, the relationship that ultimately is worship that Jesus is going to lead her to. All image bearers need forgiveness from their creator and their savior. She doesn't realize she's talking to her savior, the savior of the world. But he leads her in conversation this way. It starts with a connection. It starts with leading a conversation and encouraging her to ask questions all at a well in the middle of the day where she's an outcast and he is tired and needing a drink. All image bearers need forgiveness. We have the message of forgiveness. We have the message of reconciliation. What do people most need? A relationship with their creator who they're alienated with because of their sin and their savior who they are rejecting and trying to find their own way to God. Let's pray and ask God to use us to connect. Father, thank you for the heart that we see in our Savior. I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts for concern for the lost and then connect. Give us wisdom on how to connect to people. Change our heart, convict us, help us to be broken over our pride and use us as your ambassadors this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we go, if you have questions about pro-choice LGBTQ. Uh, text me, email me. I'm not going to take questions in class. I got a lot to cover, and I, but I do want to answer your questions. I'm just not going to 